Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Chris Lankford. Uh, I, uh, I'll introduce myself a little bit more in just a minute, but I'd like to pray for us and over us, uh, as I have been this morning already, but I want to pray over us right now uh, for, for each one of us. Father God, uh, we come to you, and God, I pray out loud and, and boldly that you would surround this place, God, with your angels, that you would push away all those things, Father, that in your word it says are a, a demonic horde trying to distract us, trying to fill us with fear, trying to fill us with so many other things than the kingdom of God, than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray against these things, and I pray that you'd push them away from guys' lives. I pray that the, the influences that would exist inside of this chapel, and Memorial Chapel, where they're doing the other seminar, Father, would be completely of your word, that they would be completely of your spirit, they would be completely of your kingdom, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, would be the agent of change that would pour over our lives and bring, God, things that are lasting, that are long-term, and that bring us, God, purity and holiness in this life, not just the next. God, we pray for these things, and, and Father, we pray with fear and trepidation of your kingdom. Please fall upon us, God. We do not ask for that lightly. We pray for it, though, Father, knowing that our lives need true change. We pray that you'd bring that in each one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, again, my name is Chris Lankford. I'm a pastor down in Southern California. Um, you've got the manual that's in front of you, but I also want you to have this if you would like to. Some of you are connected to the internet, some of you are not. Um, you can take a picture of this and it'll allow you to be able to access all of that information electronically. Even if it loads up and you know it, it, it can't connect to the internet, you'll at least have that website that, that is, it's connected to through this QR code. And if that doesn't work for you, if like the screen doesn't work for you and that kind of stuff, um, all of the information is right there on the front of that manual, uh, how to get a hold of me. It's, it's got my personal cell phone number. It's got uh, the, 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 you know, all the information that you would need so that you can get a hold of this information or at least contact me and I can send it to you. So if you want this electronically, which I know a lot of you do not work off of paper anymore, and so if you just want it electronically, um, this is one of the ways that you can access that. So I uh, just want you to have that handy for you. Uh, and I also want to introduce myself just a little bit. This is, uh, this is my family. Uh, some things that I would want you to know about me and my family. We uh, love being together. I have two younger daughters, 23 and 20 years old. Youngest one's at Biola University in her second year, of which I am a graduate. My wife is also a graduate. It's where we met. My oldest daughter is a graduate and is now working. She works as a case manager with kids that are transitioning out of foster care into real life, and she helps them with life skills, working in that direction. She has a passion for kids that have been trafficked, sexually trafficked or human trafficked at one time or another in their lives, and she helps them transition into the regular world without becoming victims. And so that's something that's just truly a silent killer in our society, and my oldest daughter works in that. Um, each one of my kids want to do redemptive things, and so I'm just really grateful for that. Uh, my, uh, 
My family loves being active. You can see that with the bikes over there um, on the right side. We just love being active together. Um, we also um, are avid Dodger fans, which means we are in active mourning. Uh, although I am, I, you know, I was taught from a young age, whatever team beats you, that's the team that you're rooting for because you want to be beat by the best. You don't want them to like go out in the next round. So I hate to say it, but I'm pulling for the Padres uh, to, uh, to go all the way and win the World Series this year. But we are avid Dodger fans, and uh, we can hardly believe that we have been eliminated once again from the playoffs. We are such a good regular season team, and we suck in the playoffs, and that's the bottom line. Uh, and we also are a big ministry family. My wife works for the Salvation Army in uh, Long Beach and uh, down in Southern California. Uh, she, the Salvation Army is at its core a church, and so she works with a lot of people that are part of the Red Shield Center that she has helped to build down there. And uh, I, I work at a church. She's at the Salvation Army. Our kids are in ministry as well, uh, one at Biola and the other uh, working with, uh, with trafficked people. And so we, that is just what immerses our family. We are very, very active in ministry, each one of us uh, together. And so uh, when I was young, I lived in a family that did not know Jesus Christ. And uh, my, I grew up in a completely secular home. My dad was uh, military. My mom uh, eventually became a nurse. My parents were constantly at battle and at war with each other. And one day I went out to the garage and my dad had a stack of magazines out there. And on the top of the magazines were a couple of Sports Illustrated. Well, I was super into sports when I was a kid. And so I started to pull that stack of magazines apart. And you can imagine this is what happened back in the day. Uh, we didn't have the internet when I was a kid, uh, or at least we didn't know about it. And so uh, in that stack of magazines was a bunch of Playboys. And as I was digging through that stack of Playboys, it became more and more interesting to me. And I grabbed a few, and then I grabbed a bunch of my buddies, and we went out in the backyard, and we completely checked these things out. It was my first exposure to uh, naked women. It was my first exposure to, to, to women that were just complete, and it was fascinating to me. I was, I was captivated immediately. It hooked me right away. It, uh, there was something about it that, that got my blood rushing, even as, a, even as a little boy. And then the worst thing in the world that could happen to you happened next. My mother came around the corner, and all of us boys had all these centerfolds laid out, and my mother came around the corner, and I could see in her eyes she was horrified at the scene. I was immediately ashamed of myself. I was immediately kind of gripped by the guilt of what I was doing and, and, and the exposure that, that had just happened to me. And my mother collecting the magazines, shooing away the other boys and grabbing me by the ear and having the magazines in one hand and me in, in her other hand and marching me into my father. She took those magazines and she threw them down on the floor upside down to where the back of the magazine was showing and she said to my dad, talk to your son about what's going on with him finding your magazines out in the garage. You talk to him right now. You tell him that he shouldn't be looking at those. My dad reached over and he turned the magazines right side up to where I could see the girl that was on the front of the Playboy. And he turned to my mom and he said, he's already seen the magazines. Don't worry about it. And he looked at me and he pointed and he, he only had one phrase for me. He said, you cannot look at these until you are a man. And that was it. Well, 
you guys know, like, what, what, when you're a boy, what do you want to be? You want to be a man. You want to, you, like, being a man is a little elusive in our society, right? It's, it's, it's hard to know what being a man is. But my dad just gave me the key. When you're a man, you can look at pictures of naked women. And I always wanted to be a man. Even when I was a young boy, I was fighting to grow up to be a man. And my dad had given me this secret key. When you're a man, then you can finally, you can finally get to that place. And so from the time I was at a very young age, I was always seeking out those magazines. Eventually, that, that turned into when I was 12 or 13, I, I was over sleeping, had a sleepover at a buddy's place, and, and all of a sudden I was exposed to masturbation, and I didn't know anything that was going on around me, and it was all kind of shocking to me, but I immediately kind of just assimilated it into my life. I share these stories with you because, in part, in part they are um, my story, but in another part, they're just very exposing. Um, it's, it's, it's sometimes I say these things, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm talking about this publicly. But I realized that uh, silence and secrets are a killer. So many of us are buried in the shame and the guilt of similar stories in our lives. Each one of us has got different stories. Some of you who are older, uh, even older than me, have got stories of, of parents, of friends that exposed you to pornography or, or something else. Some of you that are younger have got stories of just encountering this uh, almost out of curiosity on the internet. Uh, and the way that that took you down a road in your life and a road that you kept secret. And on the strange occasions where some part of your story gets exposed, oftentimes the response is not very positive. I'll never forget sitting in high school, and they brought in a special, a special speaker to talk to us guys about sex. And this is where they let off. Now, I'm, normally I would not um, emphasize this so much, but I would like you to stand in honor of God's word this morning. I'm going to read some verses, and I just want to change your position. I want you to inhale these words, and I do not mean them to shame you. I mean them to, I mean them to be breathed in. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that word mean? Pastors, what does it mean? Set apart, to be pure, to be holy, to be different. Set apart from the world for God's purposes, left in the world so that you can live out God's purposes. So it's, it's a word that we call holiness, purity, sanctification, set apart with a purpose. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. In the original language, it's the word porneia, por porn, literally. Porn is the word that is used there. That each of you know how to control his own body, literally to handle the members of your body. I mean, it's quite graphic. Uh, to handle the members of your body in purity, in holiness, and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, which is a code word in the New Testament for unbelievers, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Did you hear that? That no one transgress who? 
doesn't it feel like an individual sin? Like I'm separated from everybody else. This is something quite private. And pers- Look what it says. When we participate in porneia, porn, or in sexual behaviors or habits that we don't, do not want. Look what it says. We are transgressing and wronging our brother, our community. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is God's word. If you don't hear anything else that is said today, listen to these words and allow them to change your heart. You may be seated. These verses were shared in that class, and I immediately took those verses to mean, Chris, you don't measure up. <laughs> you, you, you fall far short. And, and as I grew up, I learned because of verses like these, because of the talks that we were being given, because of the strange priority that was put in my very, very conservative church, that you just don't do this kind of thing, um, I, I just kind of buried my sin further and further and further. And the more I buried it, the more it seemed to come up, and the more ashamed of it I, I became. I finally went to my youth pastor when I was a senior in high school, and, and I, I sat in his office, and I just had that crestfallen look on my face when I finally exposed myself to somebody and I told him um, I, I've been looking at pornography I've been I've been struggling with girls in the youth group that I that I've been dating I've been going too far I've been doing things I shouldn't be doing I feel like I'm obsessed it's just in my head all the time I can't look at a girl without thinking about this stuff and and I've been I've been jacking off and I it's all this stuff and what was his response? Was his response like, okay, here's, here's a way that you can get out of that. No, his response was something like this video that you're about to see. Uh, this is a, a Bob Newhart sketch. Uh, and so enjoy, enjoy this. These were the answers that we often got from the church when I was a kid. Take a look. Do we have sound? We don't have sound. This is way better with sound. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back us out of here, I think. There we go. Andre, what do you think? We're good now? Okay, here we go. Oh, that's better.
Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it, I love it. These were the kinds of answers that we got. These were the kinds of responses. It, was, it wasn't uh, what, what happened to your childhood. It wasn't where do you come from. It wasn't why are you doing these things. It was just, just stop it. Oftentimes in the church with some of the private, more difficult things that go on in our lives, the answers that we get back are simply read the Word of God, incorporate it into your life, and stop it. Stop doing sin. Start doing what is right. It turns us into people that become moralists. It turns us into people that become workers, hard workers at doing good things, but not doing them for any kind of right reason. It oftentimes will lead to the kinds of things that are there on page one, which is what I got into the cycle of. I would uh, work really, really hard at, at trying to manage the stresses in my life, but then I would, I would view pornography sometimes in response to the stress that would happen in my life. Anxieties, uh, what, what uh, in uh, a 12-step program is, is, is HALT, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Um, I, I would even add into that uh, moments where maybe you've experienced some sort of of pain in your life, a, a terrible memory that pops up. And I would find that, that, that pornography really helped me. Even temporarily, I was, I was so interested in getting free of the stress and the anxiety that was brought by those things. Pornography would help me, and it would just give me a little bit of a break, a temporary relief, number two there. And then I, it, would, it would move me, into again, into hiding shame and guilt. It's a funny thing with something that is a uh, habit or an addictive behavior, you are most guilty about the last time you did something. You're not guilty about two times ago, three times ago, four times ago. You're most guilty about the last time you did something. In some strange way, the addictive process relieves you of the thing that you're most guilty about the last time that you maybe acted out in some way, and it replaces it with this new, fresh thing that it piles on top of it. As though you are just piling thing upon thing upon thing upon thing. And what do you see? Just the last thing that you've done. But it goes deep as you stack more and more experiences on top of that. And so shame and guilt, the hiding, the secrecy, all of it that goes along with that. So I would start to make what I call promy prayers, promising prayers to the Lord. I'll never do it again. And I would quit and I would white knuckle it. And I would, like, even that would cause me such frustration because there'd be no outlet for the stuff that I was dealing with, my, the stress, and it would start the cycle again. Guys, that cycle right there is just teaching you how to sin. That cycle right there is teaching you how to numb yourself out to the Lord. 
It's teaching you how to subdue your conscience and step away from it and allow you to sin again and again and again and again. You practice that cycle enough times, it roots into your very brain. Scientists have told us and, and behavioral therapists have told us that uh, these, these things that we do when it comes to masturbation, when it comes to all of the thrill of pornography, when it comes to whatever sexual behavior, maybe it, it, it just involves images on a screen, maybe it involves live people, but it's an unwanted behavior in your life that it cuts neural pathways into your head, that you're brain is flooded with dopamine and, and you take those quick routes to pleasure that give you relief even temporarily from the different stresses and the different things in your life. We turn to the word, we turn to our trusted mentors and oftentimes we've gotten the answer, read this verse, try this thing and, and, and just at the end of the day, cut it out. Cut it out. Re replace it with something else. Whenever you want to act out, go running. Seriously? Like, if the solutions were so simple that you could figure them out with something as basic as that, wouldn't we all be able to just overcome everything that was difficult in our lives? Wouldn't we all just be healthy, thriving, flourishing people that aren't struggling with issues wouldn't, wouldn't all of our friends also be able to, to get free from pornography? I mean, pornography and addiction to it eventually leads to erectile dysfunction. It actually leads to a sexless experience in life. It actually leads to places where you can no longer do the very thing that brought you relief in the first place. Talk to anybody who is addicted to pornography or has been addicted to pornography for a long period of time and has acted out over a long period of time, and they will tell you it actually reduces and ruins your capacities for having an intimate relationship with another human being. It does exactly what it says in 1 Peter. It promises you joy. It promises you freedom, and it leaves you in bondage. Jesus feels like bondage at first, doesn't he? It feels like I'm constraining myself. It feels like the whole world is having fun, but I'm not. But it leads you to freedom. And it leads you to the life that you were meant to live. But the process of getting there is not easy. I'm not going to stand up here and say this has been easy. I had a buddy in my life that came up alongside of me who I'd gone to college with. We had worked at summer camp together and and he came up next to me and he just goes, Chris, I'm, I'm pretty sure you struggle with this based on some of the things I've seen and some of the conversations that we've had. He was a close friend. Don't get me wrong. This wasn't just some random. He was a close friend of mine. And he said, I'm in a group where we are trying to struggle through the, the different sex stuff that we've got going on in our lives that isn't going right. And, and by this time I was married. I had children. I, I you know, obviously felt terrible as you know, being a married man and, and struggling with these things and being a Christian man, I was in ministry. I was working with students and I just felt like I was a mess. I felt like I was so buried. There was nobody I could talk to. And then this guy comes in. He just goes, would you like to be a part of that group? And he invited me in. I, I would drive 25 miles to get away from my church to be a part of this group. Five or six different guys, 
all pastors, all struggling with the same stuff. There's even a, a page that's in your uh, in this manual. And this is just a resource guide, by the way. I'm not going to cover everything that's in here, but I would highlight page eight. One in five youth pastors, one in seven senior pastors use pornography on a regular basis. Guys, I don't think there's a greater enemy that exists than what the devil does within the church to convince us that we ought, we ought to just eat each other when someone admits that they're a sinner or that they're struggling with sin. You do realize Jesus came and on the cross solved the problem of sin, right? So when someone exposes that they're struggling with something that they want, not that they want to stay in it, but that they want to get out of it, we should embrace them. And if that person is your pastor, I just want to invite you to embrace them. I want you to maybe change what you think about, like a pastor is just another guy. It's another guy that's part of your church and in your ministry. And when he shows frailties, when he shows things that are broken in his life, embrace him. You should go initiate with your youth pastor. Hey, if you ever are struggling with something, I just want you to know you got an outlet. You got a resource. You got somebody that will protect you and will help you to get out of these things. Why do I say that? Because look down at the bottom chart. The pastor should be fired or asked to resign. 40% of church-going people feel that if their pastor struggles with porn, (laughs) out. Those are not good odds. If you add it to the 29% that says the pastor should take a leave of absence. Guys, we got to quit eating our own. We got to be men who take the lead in experiencing personally and extending corporately the grace of God. Okay, enough said about that. I had a guy that came to me, extended me that grace, and by God, truly, by the grace of God and by the place that I was at in my life, I got into a group that instead of asking questions about the symptoms, instead of saying, uh, you know, I would come and say, uh, doctor, doctor, I've got cancer. There's, there's, there's terrible things happening inside of me. Look, these sores are popping up on my body. Just imagine if you went to your doctor and you said that, and he said, yeah, just put a little neosporin on that and put a Band-Aid on it. It would be foolish, wouldn't it? If you've got cancer, you don't need Band-Aids on, on the sores that are popping up around your body. What do you need? You need deep tissue, deep deep body kind of healing. You have to have chemotherapy. You have, to, you have to have therapies that are absolutely going to destroy those cells that are inside your body to give you any possible hope of healing. you got to be broken down in order to be rebuilt. You don't need Band-Aids. Nor do we need that in the church. We don't need Band-Aids over things that are deep water issues. I had to go back into my childhood. I had to do the things that, that Newhart there in that, that sketch says, you know, oh, we don't go there. We don't go into those deeper issues. We don't go into where it comes from. We don't go into the stuff that's deep down in there. That's messy business. Just stop it. That cannot be the gospel. The gospel changes us and heals us in a deep, 
soul place, a soul place that is so powerful that it says that it can even have an effect on your very body. It can actually heal you physically, spiritually, morally, ethically, psychologically, sexually. That the, that the gospel did not just come to save you for eternity. Someday, later, it came to heal you and save you today. That meant I had to talk about things that were really uncomfortable. I had to talk about the, the experiences that I had, the ways that I tried to solve it. All the things that I attempted to bury. And it meant that, well, here, do me a favor. I'm going to show you a scene. How many of you have seen Rocky? If you have not seen Rocky, I just consider that bad parenting on your parents' part, by the way. Um, like, you, that's, like, come on. Uh, I, I, no, I don't mean to shame you, but you should go watch that movie. Um, so in Rocky, um, somebody, somebody tell me, what, what do you know about Rocky? What, what do we know? He, he never quits. Um, he punches left-handed, right? He's southpaw. Southpaw from where? Philadelphia, a fairly rough place to grow up. I don't know if you're familiar with Philadelphia, but if you so much as make a bad play on a sports team in Philly, they will boo you lustily. Like they, they absolutely hate bad plays and they, they freak out when their own sports teams do badly. That's it, man. They just throw you, to, throw you to the wolves. And so this is Philly. It's considered a very, very hard place. This is where Rocky is from, Rocky Balboa. And uh, in Rocky 1, he fights a guy named Apollo Creed, the world champion. And he goes all 15 rounds with him unexpectedly. It was expected that this, you know, southpaw from Philly was just going to get knocked out right away. He goes all 15 rounds. And Apollo Creed wins, but he wins barely. And a lot of people say, he, he, he actually did win. He only won by, based on his reputation. So Apollo Creed initiates a rematch. And this time, he's going to take Rocky out. So the way that Rocky approaches this fight, the way that he comes into this fight in Rocky II, it has to be what? It has to be different than the first time because he got his head knocked in. In fact, it, it caused damage to one of his eyes. So we're going to start here. In the, training, in the training mode, and then we're going to go to the fight. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to remain engaged. Don't, don't get distracted by all the excitement, okay? I want you to remain engaged. Tell me what you see. Tell me what you observe about what Rocky does and about how he approaches this fight. Here we go. Really loud. Got to be loud.
All right. All right. Must have that thing on a loop. Um, what do you see? Just give me some observations. What happens in those scenes that I clipped out? Say again? No guard. Yes, he, he doesn't actually know how to box. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Holds his hands down here. Sure way of getting knocked out every time. What else? He's determined. He had to change his way of thinking, right? He had to change the way that he was approaching the fight. And, and uh, his trainer says what to him when he says, I, I, I can't do that. There's no can't. There's no don't. Don't take can't. Don't, don't assume that you can't do it. Don't have that mindset. So it, cha- it requires a change of mindset. What else? Yeah, we don't go there. That's, that's what our tendency is, right? What, what else do you observe? He got up. He kept getting up. There's a great scene from the last Rocky movie that, where, where you know, he, he lectures his son about you have to keep getting up. You've got to keep getting up. You, you, you have to learn how to take the shots and allow those shots to, to, to hit you. They might even knock you down, but you've got to keep getting up. And he, he shows us that here. What else? Say again. Yeah, he, he came in right-handed. Like, he actually learned how to fight right-handed, and then he comes back left-handed, and then he goes right-handed, and it confuses the champion, and it extends it out. What? Yeah, he had to change something. Okay, guys, if you keep doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results, right, that's what is so often quoted as being the definition of insanity. But that was me. That's what I was doing. I just kept kind of trying. I promised I would. I was just teaching myself how to avoid it. You've got to do something different. I know that sounds like, yeah, I can't do that. No, I can't. I can't share my life with somebody else. I can't do something different. I I can't possibly uh, extend myself out in a place where I would be exposed to anybody. Like, I get it. I, I understand. It feels terrifying. To be in that position where you are being asked to do something different. Do not step away from that feeling. Do Step into that feeling. Do the anti-instinctual thing. Do the thing that God has called you to do. To bring it out into the light instead of continuing to hide it in the dark. Quit teaching yourself how to hide it in the dark. Bring it out into the light. I'm not saying... Stand up in front of your entire church and make an announcement. I am saying, find, find somebody, another guy that you can confide in, that you trust. Even better, I, I would say, go to your pastor and talk to him and, and find out if you can be a part of a, of a group that, that brings healing to these things. I'm, I'm so excited this weekend. This is the first time in all the years that I've done this talk. Uh, Sam Everhart. Sam, wave, wave to me right there. That's Sam, my buddy Sam. Sam runs our porn ministry at Long Beach Alliance Church. We have a porn ministry. We have a, a, an unwanted sexual behavior ministry. We have a ministry to guys that are struggling. And his wife, Sam's wife, works with women that are struggling with pornography or with the men the, the, the wives of the men, sorry, uh, the wives of the men uh, who have been betrayed by the things that their husbands have done because sometimes it involves adultery. Sometimes it involves going to massage parlors. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to fill your heads with ideas, but you know, it involves a lot, of, like a lot of bad stuff. Unwanted sexual behaviors in their lives. We are 
We are living it out. And we have for the last 10 years with men, and we've been living it out in, in more recent years, the last three or four years with women in our church. We've got a whole ministry of that. And I, I'm blown away. If, if porn is as rampant as all of us suspect it is, I'm blown away that so many churches won't even say the word from the pulpit. They won't even address it. They act like, they act like we're in the 1940s or something. We have to become a community that is a place of healing instead of destruction. We have to have those people around us that will share with us, you can't stop. you got to keep going. Dig in. You have to attack it with a rigorous plan. A lot of that's detailed on page two, but I also have got pages of resources. And I would even encourage you to go to Pure Desire um, the, the website's in, in that little resource guide that I've given to you. Pure Desire is the ministry. I've got, I've got the book, Pure Desire. I've got the seven pillars of freedom that we go through. I've also got Covenant Eyes, latest, latest edition of Life Change, their workbook that they use. Use these resources that are provided to those of us in the church to be able to bring change. Because you know what? In the same way that your brain can cut those neural pathways that are destructive in your life, your brain has been built by God himself with this plasticity. We call it neuroplasticity, where it can cut new avenues that, that, are, that are molded into your brain that remove those old neural pathways and cut in new neural pathways that are righteous and that are good and that are going to honor God. Your brain can change. You can actually change responses to things. You can actually change feelings towards things, and you can do it on a brain level. It, we were talking about this on the way up. It changes the very genetic makeup of who you are. You will be able to pass off to your children a different genetic makeup because that's the way God has created you, that your sin can extend generationally, but righteousness can also extend generationally. It is radical what is being discovered that fulfills the very word of God. That every generation is literally changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you have to work compatibly with the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Just because God has done it does not mean that you've apprehended it. And the apprehension of the gospel in our lives oftentimes takes a rigorous plan to undo the sin that this world exposes us to and allows us to do what you just saw there. You know, I think almost every movie illustrates the gospel in one way or, the, or another. And Rocky is a beautiful illustration of, of being nimble and having the flexibility to be able to change things in your life. That was the kind of group that I got into I know a lot of you are in recovery groups where they just pat you on the back and say, hey, oh, oh, you failed this week? That's all right, brother. Do better this next week. And you get no tools. You get no help. There's no change, really. It's just we're going to kick the can down the street. Pure desire is industrial strength recovery material. And it is meant to get you to move forward in your recovery so that you can experience the grace of God fully in your life. 
Is it no wonder that many of the church do not do what the Bible calls us to do, raise holy hands in worship and praise to God because they are so ashamed of what happened on Friday night or Saturday night in their lives. All right, enough about changing, enough about the opportunity that you can heal. I call on you to do something different. Do something different than what you've been doing. Say something different than what you've been saying. There is no can't. And don't forget, one of the biggest observations I've made of that little clip is that your enemy is going to punish you. He's going to tell you to stay down. He's going to tell you that you are not worth it, that you cannot beat him. When you first start out at recovery, you are a punching bag. (laughs) The enemy will take advantage of everything. Don't quit. Stay at it. Don't lose heart. The gospel is as effective and as powerful as the Bible says it is. But it takes time for us to learn what it means to be yoked to Jesus Christ and to feel the lightness of that yoking. To feel the the wonder of being yoked to the Savior. Because our, our tendency is the same as Adam and Eve. God, I've got this. Here, let me handle, hold my beer. Uh, I got this. Let me see how this goes for me. Another clip I want you to observe is this final one. It is from a a movie. I'm just going to trust you've seen Gladiator. I don't know that you're going to need to turn in your man card if you haven't seen Gladiator. Um, (laughs) This is one of the most famous and wonderful scenes in Gladiator. And again, Pay close attention to what's going on in the, fore, in the foreground and also in the background. Uh, tell me what you see. A little louder. Thanks, Andre.
What do you see? What happens? Say again. The, the emperor was terribly vexed. That is, that is a good quote, too. What's that? Yeah, he was forced to free him. I mean, his little nephew's there, and, and so, like, you know, there's a kid right there, and it was the circumstances of the moment. He doesn't want to let him live because he's already supposed to be dead, and so he gives him the thumbs up that he can, that he can continue to live uh, the, the right of the emperor over the lives of his subjects at that time period. Um, this is Commodus interacting with Maximus, and... Uh, and what, what does Maximus do in this scene? He reveals himself. Yeah, he comes out, right? He, he, he takes off his mask, and he turns around, and he says, this is who I am. And he's been trying to hide it the whole time because he knows that if he reveals who he is, it's, it's like a death sentence to him. That's how it feels to him. What does it end up bringing? Life, not just to himself, but also to all of Rome eventually. Even when it costs him everything, it brings life all those around him. What happens when the emperor turns to the, to the new captain of the guard? What do you, he turns to him, and what, what happens around him? All of the enemies surround Maximus. What happens in that moment? All of his guys come around him to defend him. Gentlemen, you cannot benefit from the very reason that we are the church, you cannot benefit from your brothers if you do not come out and share who you really are and what is really going on in the midst of your life. You will never experience what God said would stand up against the very gates of hell if you do not come out, take off your mask, and reveal yourself again. You have to choose wisely. Please, please, please do not feel convicted and go home and come out to your wife. That is not fair to her. She's not equipped for that. That is not what I'm saying. And I would discourage you from doing so. There is a way and a place to do that kind of thing when necessary. And there's about a million ways not to do it that I've seen guys do that just cause total destruction unnecessarily in their lives. I am asking you to find your band of brothers. The band of brothers that will stand around you and defend you in the midst of the fight. The group that when you take off your mask gathers around you to support you, not to attack you. I am asking you to reveal yourself that even though it is difficult, it is also inspiring. See, the truth is, even though we convince ourselves that our sin is individual and is not part of a community, by the very nature of being saved by God, by the very nature of being a part of the church, when we sin, whether it is private or corporate, it affects the whole community. It has a spiritual and an overall effect on your church, on your group. Your sin has impact on the larger church. You have sinned in community. And healing is only possible in community. You cannot experience healing all by yourself. There's no such thing. Healing either happens in community or it won't actually happen. If you are not willing to be healed in community, you are not taking 
the issue of unwanted sexual habits or behaviors in your life, you're not taking it seriously. You are not really, really, truly making an attempt to heal. I don't care how hard you've worked individually, you are not taking it seriously if you refuse to be healed in community. Do you want industrial strength healing? It, it happens in community. It does not happen individually. I know too many guys that have taught themselves how to white-knuckle their way through life, who have traded one addiction for another. They've just substituted what they used to do with porn with gambling. They've just substituted what they used to do with porn with some other unhealthy behavior. I'm not looking for you to jump addictions. I don't want you to go from porn to drinking. I don't want you to go from drinking to gambling. I don't want you to get addicted to these other... The way towards healing is in a community. And that community, when it comes to sexual behaviors, is a community of men. A community of men that are committed to material and to the gospel in a way that brings healing to the core of your life. Again, detailed on page two, what that process looks like, but also detailed in all the resources that are listed in this manual. If you want to find a group that is near to you, go on to Pure Desire's site. They list the groups that are available. That group might be far away from you, but it is worth the drive. I promise you, it is worth the drive. Quit finding excuses for why you can isolate and stick yourself into a box. Remember, that's what COVID did to us, right? Stay at home, be with your kids, be with your wife 24-7. I've never seen guys go so cabin, you know, crazy and, and stir crazy as I did in the last two years. All the other ministries in the church went down. Porn ministry blew up. Why? All of a sudden, guys had nowhere to go. And they resorted to some really unhealthy habits. And I'm inviting you out of that. And I'm inviting you into a place where revealing who you are will actually lead to true healing in your life. The enemy is treacherous and will use every means possible. Not, not to make you hostile towards the gospel, just to neuter you as a Christian man in your church. And when he does that, he takes you out of the game. God desires for his men to walk in purity and holiness, not as a burden, but as a celebration of being separated from the things of this world for the things of God, so that you can be used to stand up against the gates of hell. That may not describe you today, but I promise you, we've done pure desire for 10 years, and we have had radical success. I could line, if they were willing, I could line a whole bunch of guys up here and, and, and have them share story after story after story of who they once were and who they are now and how the gospel has changed them and done so because of the industrial strength nature of what God is doing in the lives of men. Don't, don't go back to the old way. Step out of here today and resolve that you will do whatever it takes to bring that 
healing ministry into your life and into the lives of those that are around you. I hope I baited the hook, and I hope you have heard clearly. We've all got stories. We've got to do things differently. We've got to come out to a group of men that can really bring change because they're committed to the gospel. These are essential. And my prayer is that you will take what happens here today and you'll deliver it to the guys and to the churches that most need it and, and to the pastors that most need it. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just lift these guys, these churches, these ministries, the wives, the children, all of the things, God, that we are connected to. I lift them up to you. And God, I pray. I pray, Father, that you would expose sin because you've, you've forgiven us and you've brought healing and you want to bring healing even to the stubborn, wicked sins that are in our lives, even to the horrible things that we've done to others and even to ourselves, even to the horrible things that have been done to us. God, I pray that you'd bring healing and power over these men's lives. That, Father, you would be the one that blesses. And that in that blessing, God, in that community, you would bring healing and raise up men that are committed. God, committed to honoring you and worshiping you with every moment of their lives. Not just those in a Bible study or on a Sunday. I pray this over these men. And God, I pray that your name would be honored amongst them and in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.